Welcome back for another episode of No Fouls here on Uncommon Media. Our guest this week, a little different than some of the people we've talked to already, as he did not necessarily go into an established program that was ready to win. He built an established program from 0-20, capping off to a championship Please welcome to No Fouls, Nick Foster. Welcome. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, and like I said, I like that it's a little different from, you know, an Aaron Hill that took over a team with, you know, pretty much 3,000-point scores that was ready to win a championship, and Coach Davis, who took over an established program that had built been built up by a legendary coach you kind of came in to a Montpelier scene that was very much down from what it had once been yeah you know my first year um I knew a lot of the the kids on the team and and it was a senior heavy class uh there were some some really nice players there and, and kids with um you know Anthony Patterson and and uh, Josh Crane was on the team and, and Dowling, Matt Dowling was on the team. Um, it was a team that had had some success, you know, with Dave Nelson and Lynn Ribellini in the past decade. But there had been some turnover. Um, and I knew we'd have a, a pretty good team that senior year or my first year. But of course, um, I'm a rookie coach and uh, we had one run at it. And then after that season, we, we knew it was about a rebuild. We'll get to that. Where did your basketball journey begin? I always played basketball as as a child. You know, I, I played through middle school and uh, and whatnot. I really enjoyed playing basketball. I wasn't very good. Um, I played at Spalding High School, you know, my first three years. And as a senior, I got cut. Um, I got cut from a team, I think, that that went on to win two games. So that tells you how, how good of a player I was. Not very good. Um, but again, I loved the game as a kid. Uh, my grandparents would, uh, they would pick me up, you know, and take me to the Barry Auditorium for the entire girls tournament and the entire boys tournament. And my grandfather, Randy Foster was a, was an usher there. So I would sit right in the front row, um, for about six or seven, eight years there and just watch every single game. Absolutely fell in love with it. So when did the idea of coaching start creeping in? You know, it's funny. I always really loved the game and I I never really thought that I would coach, to be honest with you. I don't know that I really um, made a made a big attempt to get into coaching. Uh, I coached a couple AAU teams, you know, and when I was really young and that's because my brother was on the team. Um, But we had a team with Mike Perez on it and those were his peers. And and so we would play in a couple tournaments. It was very casual. And I'll be honest with you, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, But uh, a few years later, you know, um, about 10 years later, really, Joe Salerno got the head coaching job at Montpelier High School. And my brother was really good friends with him. And I was, you know, and I knew Joe and Joe needed some help. So I volunteered to be a team manager. Uh, so I spent that first one season with Joe uh, at Montpelier High School as a team manager. And again, I just fell in love with coaching. And and from that point on, I was I was fully invested uh, we made a run to the to the Barry Auditorium and lost to Virgins. Um, Joe left and uh, went to Canada to coach the the Summerside Storm and uh, or actually he he went on with the Frost Heaves and and Tom I 
spent a year and a half with the frost heaves and then and then joe took off to canada yeah and say what you want about aau and i'm sure it'll come up in some of these conversations i have on this show positives negatives but that really is a great spot to start getting your feet wet with coaching it is i mean i had zero guidance at that point Uh, i was trying to provide a, a good experience for those kids but Honestly, when when I did get involved with Joe, the beautiful thing is he he gave me an opportunity to coach some AAU teams and did give me some guidance and mentored me and coached some summer league teams and I was able to get my uh to get my feet wet there. That's always one of my favorite questions is kind of who was your first coach you remember that stands out and made an impression on you? Yeah, I mean, as far as a coach that I had again, I mean, I didn't, I didn't play varsity basketball. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't, uh, I don't recall any youth coaches. I was just playing around, but Fran Pienaard obviously was, uh, was a fantastic coach. And, um, I, I highly respected him. I, I wish, I wish I was good enough to play on his team. I wasn't, but, uh, he was a great coach, but as far as like coaching mentors, Joe Salerno, absolutely. Um, and then Jeff Strom, who was the head coach for uh, a very short time with the Frost Heaves, but I learned a lot from him in, in just a few weeks and, and highly respected him as well. Tell me a bit, little bit about kind of how the Frost Heaves stuff went. I mean, it seemed like it was very popular for the short run that it had in central Vermont. What was that like for you guys working with, you know, elite athletes and bringing something completely different? to the Barry Auditorium in central Vermont. Yeah, I obviously was there, you know, on a volunteer level and towards the back end, uh, the last year and a half that the Frost Heaves existed. Um, But for me, it was just a learning mindset. Um, I wasn't doing a lot of coaching, uh, especially early on. I was just trying to take as many notes as I possibly could, learn as much as I could from Jeff and then Joe. I was really in a team manager role, um, whatever whatever it took. But uh, as Joe got established and Jeff left, I, I was able to take on much more of an assistant coach role. And the the talent that we had in that first season was uh, really, really impressive. Um, we went on like an eight or nine game winning streak and, and fell within a game short of uh, of missing the playoffs. But we had some phenomenal players, Marshall Brown and Dwan Rice. And I just could not uh, believe the the level of skill that they had. So you end up as the head coach at Montpelier, and you, like you said, a very good kind of first year with the group that you had that was established, and then the kind of the bottom falls out. And the tough thing I've noticed calling games around that area for a lot of years is it's tough for Montpelier because as the team went down, when you would have really good athletes or great players – they didn't want to kind of stick around to help that rebuild, and they were jumping over to U32. Yeah, there's one that definitely stands out that that uh, hurt early. Kyle Graves left uh, Montpelier High School to go play at U32. And I was um, – we had worked with him in the summer program, and I hadn't been there long enough to, to really work with him as, as a youngster. But uh, we were really looking forward to have Kyle uh, come into the program and I think it would have helped. I think it would have sped up our rebuild a little bit. 
Uh, and there were some other folks that, that did leave and, and went on to Essex and, and CVU and whatnot. And, um, the first couple of years that that happened, Tom, it was, uh, you know, I like it stung, it hurt. And I, there was a moment there where, where myself and, and my assistant, Pat Cowens, and we were just like, you know, we're going to have to get over this and, and really rebuild this, this program and, and get some pride here. Through the first few guests we've had on this show, I think everybody's kind of said to build a program has nothing to do with the high school. It's starting out when the kids are younger, getting them excited about being part of that high school team later on. So how did you guys kind of start from the ground up rebuilding the Montpelier basketball brand, for lack of a better term? Again, we knew in, in my second and third year that it was going to be tough and we were going to have to start at the third and fourth grade level. Um, and so I, I took that kind of upon myself early and just trying to meet as many people as I could that had an interest with kids that age. And boy, I was uh, I was so fortunate to find a, a group of parents that had third, fourth, fifth and sixth graders, um, Bill Berzacy and Peter Rickey and Emmanuel Ryby Williams, and they all had um, they all had kids in that age group and siblings as well. So we knew right there and they all wanted to get in the gym. And so we started to do that. Um, in fact, the year, the year that we were 0 and 20, uh, is the year that we really started working with that youth group and we'd bring them in on Sunday mornings and do free clinics. And that became mini Metro basketball and AAU basketball and open gyms. And, and before you knew it, we had, uh, as many middle school kids and, and even younger kids in the gym as we did high school kids. That's really cool. That kind of just shows yeah. that's how you get people excited to be part of a team. And I'm not going to sit here every single week and, you know, give Aaron a round of applause. I went through that program and it's a truth. It's the summer camps every summer for the elementary school kids and, campers of the week getting to sit on the bench for home games and you just see it builds to this crescendo where everyone is just excited about their opportunity to wear that jersey that they've seen for years it really is incredible i mean when we when we finally started to peak and and play pretty well and quite honestly it's after that 0 20 season and and kyle coming back helped help that season and we had a a great transfer student, Alvaro, um, who who just uh, vaulted our program to a whole level. But uh, we started to have, you know, our our young kids were practicing with the with the older kids, and um, and it was it was nonstop. The older kids would be at the younger kids' practices. You know, it was just like it was a ba- it became a basketball community. Um, what seemed like overnight, but it, it took a long time. Who are some of you know, your diehard assistants that have been there with you and helped you do it? Because I don't think one person can really do it. You need multiple. Yeah. I mean, I can give credit to so many, but uh, Putt Cowens is uh, the first the first guy that really just um, embraced what I was doing. You know, he he um, he was there with me when when it was really, really tough. You know, uh, in fact, he he wasn't even on board uh, the first year. So I think the most wins, you know, that Putt and I ever had together was like nine and and then it was six and five. And he was there uh, through the winless season. 
Um, and we're still in contact, but he's, he's since moved to Florida, um, before we really got good, you know, his last season, I think was a 16 and six year when we lost in the quarterfinal. And since then, um, Bill Berzace, has been by my side with the youth group and right into the high school group now. And man, he's as, he's as good a person as, as you could possibly have with you. Uh, and Peter Ricker as well. Um, his son is recently graduated, but same, just fully invested in the program selfless people. Yeah. And I've, I did a lot of Montpelier games a couple of years ago. I think it was the first season after kind of the pandemic was super strong. So all the games were kind of getting streamed and I was climbing up to the top of the bleachers to, to stream up for NFHS, but your group, your coaching group was always incredibly pleasant and approachable. Like, they would come out of their way, they'd say hello, they'd ask if we needed anything, they'd, you know, come up and talk basketball if they had downtime, which I can definitely appreciate. And speaking kind of to that in what you've built, and I think championships are obviously fantastic, and that's the goal, but I asked a few coaches before doing this show kind of about you uh, about Montpelier, and the one thing that I got was he's humble, and his kids are great. They behave. They don't act like idiots. They're held accountable, and if we're being honest, that's can be a hard thing to do in 2022. It can be. Um, you know, it's something that we really set out to do was really, I mean, it's it, – you know, culture is obviously a big thing, but in our first couple of years, we knew that uh, we were going to we were going to take care of what we could control. And whether that was our attitude and our effort and and how we act in the community and how we treat how we treat everybody, um, that was going to be most important. And we knew that winning games was going to be tough. So we wanted to learn how to really get the program in the right direction um, so that we were respected you know, regardless of how many games we won or lost. And to be honest with you, it was easy to do because we'd instilled that in the young kids. And and we really uh, we really worked on that the entire way. And it's great because we had assistant coaches that, that felt the same way. And we, we always said, you know, when we're ready to win games, uh, we'll have a great attitude to go along with it. Uh, we shouldn't have to worry about anything extracurricular going on that, that's going to get in the way. Well done. Uh Tell me a little bit about your summer program with your guys. Because I feel like it's got to be a little bit more unique to, say, a Hazen, which is a basketball school, basketball town. A lot of your players just finished off an undefeated soccer season to win a championship. So you got quite a few guys that are very much both soccer and basketball. Yeah, our summer program is, uh, it's changed over the years. You know, we, we spent years playing at U32. We spent a couple seasons playing, you know, games like most schools do. I think you play other high schools, um, play spalling. Uh, we've kind of, we have gotten away from that a little bit. Um, we'll try to schedule a couple games throughout the summer, um, two or three maybe with another school. But for the most part, we're in the gym and we open the gym, um, for, our players, uh, we open the gym for like our alumni. We get a lot of our graduates that will come back 
And I think we have just as good a time um, playing playing amongst ourselves, playing amongst the alumni, uh, once in a while playing with some peers from other schools, and really just um, more of a casual setting. But it gets it gets really really competitive. And as far as the uh, the other programs, like the soccer program is a great program, and Eric Bagley there is phenomenal. Um, we both I think are aligned on uh, kids playing multiple sports is better for both of us. I try not to schedule anything where they may be a, uh, you know, a soccer event. He does the same. We encourage kids to play both sports. So it works out really well. Yeah. Teamwork there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And we talked about it with a few of our guests, the, the benefits that comes with playing multiple sports as opposed to, you know, we're in a day and age where a lot of people want their kids to hyper-focus and just, one sport, grill it, and I think that becomes tedious over time to kids. Yeah, can I? I mean, we certainly have kids that will have a singular focus and play basketball, and we'll we'll be there for them and 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 work with them probably more because they're in the gym more. But if there are kids that are playing multiple sports, we certainly encourage that and and go to their games and uh, are interested in how those see how those seasons are going as well. So now. You've kind of built back up, like you said, and had this nice little run capitalizing with this past year's title, and we're going to get to that. But in the process, how much studying do you still do? I mean, I've said it. There's no, there's really no such thing as a new idea in basketball. It's all taking from other people, and you tweak it to make it your own, but you can learn a lot by watching other teams play. Oh yeah. It's never ending. Um, I probably study some, some would say too much. Um, there's so much information and so many great coaches out there and so much that you can learn and, and try to implement into your own program. But I really do think that, uh, you have to have a vision of, of how you want to play basketball and, and, uh, and obviously the, the players that you have, you know, does your vision work with the, the skill level that you have? Um, and then and then take that and you know there's there's a lot of great coaches around I, I i will try to watch a lot of the great programs around here i mean hazen being one of those um and uh but yeah we're always trying to evolve a little bit but we 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 have a way that we like to play and, and we're trying to stay ahead a little bit and not get stuck in in what has worked for the past few seasons are there any coaches that kind of stand out in your mind that when you play there's usually one or two moments where you say, ooh, what was that? Remind me to go look at that on tape after. Yeah, there are. And, you know, we haven't started playing Hazen until recently, but um, you can always kind of expect what you're going to get from him. But you walk away from the game going, that was what he just did there was brilliant. You know, I hadn't thought of that. Um, Jack Carrier, always uh, great. He'd throw a curveball at you and, you're like, man, we, we did not, you could expect anything from, uh, uh, from Jack. And just when you thought you expected one thing, he threw another one at you. So, uh, those two come, come front of mind instantly. This past year with your championship team and the previous years, obviously what I really enjoy about watching your teams is the defensive side. And there's not a lot of schools that really still do it that can go full court to a three-quarter trap, 
maybe back to a zone, constantly changing up. There were a lot of games where I watched, and your offense really was struggling, but then you'd hit maybe the third quarter, and the other team would score two points, and you'd have 12 points just on transition off turnovers. I've always been more of a defensive-minded coach, I think. Um, and that comes from, uh, you know, starting with the Frost Eves and, and really um, Marty Durda there was a great defensive coach. And uh, so I learned a lot on the defensive end. It was easier for me to learn, to be honest with you. But at the high school level, um, defense comes first in my mind. Offense really can come and go. Um, and we thought, I've always thought that we can control uh, the defensive end of the floor and really change the game defensively. Um, so we've we've worked to just really instill in our kids that in order to get on the floor, first of all, you're going to have to compete on the defensive end. Um, and the better that we play defensively and, and, you know, the more effort that we play with defensively, we really will give them much more freedom offensively. Uh, we don't stand up and call a lot of plays offensively. Um, we don't have a lot of sets. And we really don't worry too much about the shots we're taking as long as our effort is great on the defensive end. Kids enjoy that, I think. What do your practices normally look like? Maybe not the first week or two when there's still some conditioning bonus work that gets in there, but kind of yeah. once you hit that season, what does a practice kind of look like for you guys? Yeah, it moves right along. I mean, we we get in and, and we get a quick stretch and then it's, it's skill work and it's it's up and down transition drills, um, you know, defensive stuff and almost everything that we do uh, transitions into like a, a full court mindset. So even if we're working on a defensive thing, uh, we're going to get out and go and and get up and down two or three trips and and stop it and go again. Um, so I think it's I think it's exciting for the kids. You know, we get to compete a lot at practice. Uh, there's very little. um there's not a lot of individual stuff in season. Uh, most of that comes out of season and in individual workouts on the weekends, maybe. I love that. And I like, and I always told when I was coaching, I'd tell the teams, if you can bust your butt through all the drills we're doing, we don't need to run. There doesn't need to be bonus running. If you put the work in during the drills. Yeah. I mean, we like to think we're going to be in shape and uh, because we're playing basketball at a high pace in practice, not because we're running laps or, you know, or doing jumping jacks or, or whatever. We're going to put a ball in their hands, um, play fast. We like practice, honestly, to be sloppy, be messy. We're not striving for perfection at practice. Um, obviously, we'd like it to be perfect. But if we're playing fast and making mistakes, um, we know we're getting better. Tell me a little bit about how kind of this the storybook went with Jonah in terms of you lose him, he goes to South Burlington, right as you guys are kind of on the cusp, and you still have a fantastic team the year he's gone, and you're right there on the edge. And then how did you also learn that he was coming back? Yeah, it's, uh, man, that was crushing, to be honest with you. You know, um, we came off a, a one-point championship game loss, and Jonah's been part of our program since forever, you know, and he, he's a, he's a friend to everybody and a peer, um, you know, a, a friend within the peer group and, 
and obviously a great basketball player and and somebody that that I thought I was close with and I was and and at first when that happened I'm like what am I doing wrong something's got to be wrong one of our best players is leaving the school and we have a uh we have what I think is a pretty good program here um and it had nothing to do with that you know Jonah wanted to change it wasn't all basketball related uh, it had some something to do with basketball yes but uh you know we we talked and uh wish him well and rooted for him and and it's pretty easy to hear these things because our assistant coach bill has a son on the team and 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 everybody talks and everybody's close um and so this way that i found out he was leaving is the same way i found out he was coming back you know uh sometimes that you know they say the, the grass isn't greener i think jonah missed his uh missed playing with his friends um that he grew up with and probably knew he had a good chance to have a uh have a good team championship team and he had an opportunity to have a great year which he did so so happy that jonah came back and and closed his his high school career really where i think he belonged how easy was kind of reinstalling him in with the other guys who had because you had had other guys who have stepped up and kind of taken those bigger roles while he was gone was it easy to integrate him back in did was there any ego massaging that needed to be done no no ego massaging in fact it was really really easy I mean, the most selfless player and one of the greatest teammates we've ever had is Will Brzezacy. And Will and Jonah are um, phenomenal friends, you know. And when Jonah was gone, no hard feelings. I'm sure they talk every day, still watching film with one another all the time. So when Jonah came back, it was almost um, like he had never left, except I think we had all matured. And and everybody wanted to win, you know. and And we knew that, um, in order for us to have uh, a championship season, then we needed the best out of Jonah and we need the best out of everybody else. So it was great. Yeah. Will always kind of came off as the guy that was always willing to sacrifice. How important was that for that team to really thrive, to have someone who is the leader of the team say, I don't care if I shoot. I don't care if I get 10 points this game, two points, 22 points. And that just sets the example for everybody else. Yeah, he's one of the few players I've ever seen play that can completely impact and change a game and never score. Never score. Um, he could score. He, he'd score some big baskets for us. Uh, and he did so much on the court, but boy, he did so much off the court that even I wouldn't notice. Um, just, you know, like welcoming Jonah back into a program, just um, mending, you know, you know, frustrations of if there's frustration within the team, he could just, he would just take everything on his shoulders and, and wear it. Um, and he just wanted the best for the team and his teammates. Um, so yeah, he's of course gone now and hard to replace. We're, we're working on that at the, at the time. So kind of tell me about that moment, almost more so coming in to last season. Did you feel any added pressure, especially with this group, kind of your first group, like you said, that came up through the entire program from that younger age, their seniors, did you feel a little more pressure to try to get them to that championship before they left? Yeah. Well, especially really for Jonah, because we had won the year before against North Country in the uh, the, co- the absolute COVID year when no yeah. one was around, the 10-game season. Um, 
So there was pressure there though, uh, because boy, it's like, there's pressure when you know, you're supposed to be really good. <laughs> you know, when we had made it to the final two years before that, it was like, we know we're pretty good, but if we get there, that, that's going to be great. And and then the second year, there was a lot of pressure. We had an undefeated season and that was a senior laden group. Um, but last year we knew we probably had two of the best players in the state, you know, and, uh, and one of the best defensive players in the state in Wilbur Zacy. We knew we had a really, really good, good team. And um, it would be a disappointment to lose. Uh, you, you hate to go like that, but I know, I know the kids wore that um, pretty heavily, uh, especially early in the year, but they competed every day in practice. Like, uh, like they wanted to be champions and, and um, that took a little bit of the pressure off me having those great players. That's for sure. My apologies. I forgot about the, the super COVID year that you won. My bad. That's an easy year to forget about, but we did. We're in a gym with nobody there. We we beat North Country. Yeah. I think I, I was there for that, too, and I still forgot about it. Uh, so coming off a championship now, rumor has it, rumor has it that you got a, a pretty good crop of sophomores this year. Yeah. Uh, we'll have seven sophomores on the varsity team. And this is kind of that, not the last group, but this is that um, youngest group that we have been working with. Um, my son and Bill's youngest son are on the team and and uh, Carson Cody. Um, so a lot of the siblings that, that had older siblings come through the program, um, these are their younger siblings. And uh, they've been involved in the program for a long, long time now. And uh, there's going to be eventually probably just as much or more pressure on this group. And we do have a couple great older, you know, Ronnie Ryby Williams is a senior now and, and Andrew Tringe. So we have a couple really nice seniors to, to lead this younger group. I'm always fascinated to ask, and I've asked a lot since I became a father, how has been coaching your son been for you and your relationship? It's been good. It's been really good. Uh, we usually almost always as hard as it can be time at times to uh, leave it at the gym. You know, um, he's he's fairly easy to coach because he has what our whole program has, you know, great attitude, uh, great effort. Um, his teammates are great. You know, there's always when you're when you're coaching your kid, there's always whispers, you know, you can hear it. Um, you know, it's a coach's kid. Uh, even if you don't hear it, you think you hear it. Uh, when it comes to the simplest things, you know, splitting, you're always second guessing. Am I favoring my son? Am I, you know, am I, am I being too hard on him? You know? And, uh, and so that's where it gets hard. I mean, the simplest thing from breaking out teams at practice in a day, you know, that it, that I put him on the better team. I mean, I don't know why I think about crazy things like that, but, um, but you do, but, from his side of things, uh, it's it's been amazing. He's he's great to coach. That's where great assistants come in handy when dealing with your own children. Yes, absolutely. And I have an honest, great assistant who has a son as well on the team. So uh, we're 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 able to do pretty well. Where is your favorite place to play outside of Montpelier? Great question. It's got to be U32. Um, 
when we're both good and that gym is packed, it's so loud sitting in front of that concrete wall and just the, you know, just the noise coming off that wall. You can't hear anything. Um, obviously the Barry auditorium, I mean, if you can play there in a, in a full house, like we did last year, that's, that's incredible. We played a night game or a Friday night game a couple years ago at Hazen. And that was, uh, that was a great experience. We go back there this year on a Friday night. Um, so we're always looking forward to that. I was talking to Aaron earlier today and he said the only game that I know for sure on the schedule was the date for the Montpelier game. He said, that'll be a great test. It will be. You mentioned the Barry auditorium and there's always kind of rumblings because it is an older building and you know, the locker rooms, depending on how you look at it, when I look at it, give it that great Hoosiers vibe to it. But there's always rumblings of people wanting it to move to maybe a nicer place. Is that anything that you would get on board with, or is just the auditorium and what it is just made for the Vermont championships? Yeah, if you ask me, it's made for the Vermont championships. It's... uh yeah, it's a special place to me. Like I grew up watching basketball there as a kid and and uh spent a couple seasons coaching there and I can't imagine it anywhere else. I'm sure there's nicer buildings, but uh there's there's going to be no other building with that, you know, mystique and that that environment. You can't recreate that environment. Well said. Where's one place you'd like to see a game that you've never seen before? Yeah. The Palestra Love to go to the Palestra, watch a big five game. There you go. Beautiful thing. Yeah. Yep. All right. Tell me a little bit about creating goals for a season. Do you put out goals for your team? Did they, are you a goal oriented bunch? No, we're not. Uh, when it comes to a win loss, um, we don't put win loss goals at the beginning of the year. Um, our goals are, are more in our attitude and our effort. And we ask our kids to enjoy the journey. That's, that's the most important thing. So um, we really want to enjoy every practice, every game, every locker room experience um, and be in the moment. And it's probably cliche, but if we can do that and really enjoy those practices and, and overcome a loss here and there, then the weight of winning 17 or 18 or 16 games or winning a championship game um, isn't with you every day. And, you know, we we ask our kids to act like champions. It's something that we want not to play like champions. We feel like if we can do all that, uh, then we'll have an opportunity to compete for a championship. And that's our goal is is to put ourselves in a position to compete and uh, and see what happens. Give me your top three players that you've had to coach against. Ah, yeah, that's a good, there's been a lot of them. That's for sure. Um, Ryan Booth early on was tough Man, he got his thousand point in one of our tough seasons at our place. I think he had 40 plus that night. He could shoot like crazy too. Um, Jacob Tassie had a really good year. He was impossible to to prepare for. He could score at all three levels. His uh, 
you know, his footwork was incredible. And then the Isaiah Baker kid was, he had one of the best games we've ever, um, we've ever had played against us. Um, 38 points or so. That was that Friday night game there at Hayes. And we, we pulled the game out by a point, but he did get the last shot in the air. And I thought for sure it was, it was going in. Yeah. Those, those are three good ones. Give me an underrated player that you coached against that doesn't maybe get the shine or doesn't have a thousand points, but for whatever reason, just gave you fits. Yeah. An underrated player. Um, a lot of those too. There's a kid that went to Thetford, and I think he may have just graduated, and he played all four years. Eli done it. Um, he was he was tough. I think he had he had twenty twenty six against us as a freshman. I had no idea who he was, and for the next three years, we had a heck of a time um, stopping done it. He was so good around the rim. He could finish. He could rebound. And and, and uh, speaking of rebounding, the Drew Dagaset kid that was at Lake Region. I think they went to the finals in his senior year and he was just a, he was an animal. I just really admired his work ethic. Um, same thing around the rim. Those guys around the rim are, have been taking advantage of us a little bit. Give me a few great team players you've had for your groups. Maybe guys that won't show up in a box score, but the team wouldn't feel the same without them. The glue guys, if you will. Yeah, we've had a lot of those. Uh, and we had a lot of them early on when we weren't winning that well. Uh, there's a there's a, a young man now, Colin Rose, who who played for us that uh, I wasn't sure he he would even make the team, you know, but he did. And by the end of the year, he was a starter, and it, a lot of it came down to attitude and his team. He was such a great team player, um, great attitude all the time. Recently, we've had some players, you know, Nate LaRosa, selfless, um, came off the bench for us in key minutes. Uh, probably one of the key players in in my career of like helping me become more of a positive coach. He would uh, he would keep me in check um, from the player side, which is great. Danny Bruce, he did show up in the box score, um, but he was one heck of a teammate. Someone every everyone respected. We've had a lot of, a lot of really good teammates. I enjoy this question. Is there a play from your games at the auditorium that stands out in your mind as a favorite play that you think just kind of encompasses Montpelier basketball? <laughs> yeah. You know, the last man, there were, there were a lot of great plays. We had some explosive plays. Um, my favorite play that probably capped off the year, I, it was really inconsequential at the scoreboard, but, you know, Rashid uh, Nikiyama got a steal late in the game against against MSJ and and took it to the rack and threw it down, and, and Jonah was running beside him and, you know, kind of jumped beside him, looking up at him, and the pure joy in their, in their faces. Um, that play was, was a great play. Uh, probably a couple of the most significant plays that I remember. We had a player named uh, Harris Zombic and um, he was a rotational player for us. And, and he was on the team uh, that, well, we went to the auditorium and lost to Fairhaven, but in that core, uh, semifinal game against U32, we won the game by 20, but as the third quarter, you know, was winding out Harris, 
Harris was on the floor and we were only up by four points at the time. And I'll remember right in front of our bench, he knocked down a big three. It was the second three of the game uh, to put us up seven. And uh, it just kind of seemed like we needed that. Um, it closed the quarter. We we went into the fourth quarter and put the game away. And our last question that I like to do on the show, you're having a dinner party. You can bring four coaches with you. Who are you inviting? <laughs> Oh, that's hard. Oh man. I'd love to say all the, all the assistance I've, I've ever had, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm bringing my assistant Puck Cowens. Definitely. I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to ask Aaron Hill. I know he was recently on, but I got to pick his brain and he's full of, he's full of knowledge and, and I love that stuff. And, and a lot of things that that I'd like to uh, like to learn about, and and Paul Pecor, you know what? To be honest with you, I don't I don't know Paul well, but man, I would just I would just love to sit and talk about all those championships he's won and all that great talent he's had. Oh yeah, he'll be on the show in the not too distant future. All right, so that's great. So I want to thank you for making time for me. Uh, especially as we're recording this, it's first week of practice, which is always an exciting, but I got to imagine a bit of a frantic time for you. It is. I mean, we're, uh, it's, you know, it's Friday now and geez, yesterday was, you know, the fourth day of the season, two days of tryouts. And it's always like, we were talking about it after practice. It's like you get through first couple days and you're like, Oh no, Oh no, we're not going to be, we're not going to be very good. You know, you just start doubting everything that you're doing. Um, you take a deep breath and and know that the process will be fine. We'll be good. Um, but uh, we have a great group of kids. It's It makes going to the gym so much easier. Yeah, I was just talking to someone yesterday. They said they finished up tryouts yesterday, and they have their first scrimmage Saturday, and they scheduled their first game was next Friday. They had an early regular season game. So they're trying to do a lot in a short period of time. They are. I think it really comes down to your group. You know, last year we had a real experienced group and well, uh, you know, our older kids. So we, we scheduled scrimmages early. We scheduled some big opponents early. Um, this year we're kind of, you know, working amongst ourselves in the first week, couple big scrimmages next week. And then we don't have to open until the following Tuesday um, against Essex. So it's, it's a, it's a nice opening week, couple weeks here. Well, Coach, thank you for carving out some time for me and coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun, and uh, I look forward to listening uh, to your future guests. This brings a conclusion to this week's episode. If you want to be a part of the No Fouls family and be a sponsor of our show, send us an email, uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. Make sure you check out all the Uncommon Media podcasts, the Uncommon Deeds podcast, as well as the New Sports Order podcast. Check out all the social media pages, No Fouls Pod on Facebook, Uncommon Media VT on Facebook as well. We will be back next week with another new episode of No Fouls.